no, if you're looking to build a global footprint, if you're looking to, you know, if you have a very scalable offering, then probably Australia is something you should put on your roadmap. Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here speaking, and today I'm taking you quite on a journey. We are going directly to the Oceania region, and more precisely to Australia with Leo Dennis. Leo is CEO and founder of Australians, and he's helping international startups to successfully launch and scale in Australia for years now. And he will tell us why unicorns like Aircall enter this market when they want to become global players. You can expect to learn about the reasons why to do business in Australia as an EMEA company, cultural differences, setup and hiring practices, and he will as well share a story, a business one, about Aircall and how they managed to scale their business in Australia. Therefore, please buckle up and let's crack on for this episode. Hi, Leo. Thank you so much for coming to International Corner. So happy to have you here. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Thanks for having me, uh, Tiffany. Very happy to be here uh, from Sydney today. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Thank you. Before digging into today's matter, and I think the audience and I actually would love to discover more about Australia and um, how companies manage to get into that market because it's such a market that we don't think about, you know, at first. I think we, we most look at EMEA, the EMEA region, but not necessarily Australia because it's far away. Uh, but before digging into that, could you perhaps start by introducing yourself a little bit, Australians, and uh, talk about what is it that you guys do over there? Sure. So, um, so my name is Leo Dones. Uh, I've been in Australia for the past 15 years, based in Sydney. Uh, before that, uh, I was in France, uh, where um, I started my career and, you know, completed a master degree with uh, EM Lyon Business School in France. Um, over the last 15 years, um, I had the chance to launch uh, Australians and a, a number of uh, ventures here. Um, we are really passionate about uh, creating value through meaningful connection. Um, With Australians, and all we do this is a mix of uh, services and connection. Um, so we've got three lines of services today: uh, Australians Talent, which is probably you know 70% of our business, where we act as a as talent partner for a number of international scale-ups as well as Australian high-growth uh, startup, uh, and basically we act there as their uh, talent acquisition arm. Uh, so we define ourselves more as talent partners and recruiters uh, to help them attract, hire, and retain top talents as they grow their business. Then we've got uh, Australians Access, and Australians Access here is our market entry uh, offering. So today we've helped probably over 50 scale-ups to enter the Australian market and more broadly the Asia-Pacific region. And we have we we know uh, focusing on helping 
uh, international uh, scale-ups from Australia, but as well the US or Hong Kong uh, to enter the uh, EMEA market. So we really know uh, at this phase with the company where you know we really want to act as global connectors uh, with a strong focus uh, on the APAC region where we come from, uh, as well as uh, EMEA market. Uh, and finally, like I think one of our key differentiators is what we call Australian's network, uh, where here we, uh, we've run uh, hundreds uh, of uh, events helping early stage uh, startup raise funds, meet angel investors and VC, um, as well as you know acquiring knowledge and all the tools they need to grow their business. And this concept is called startup and angels. Um, that is a concept that is just over six years old. Uh, and we've also run the B2B Rocks conference that was born actually in France and, and Europe uh, 10 years ago. And we've run four editions uh, over, you know, just pre-COVID. Uh, so 2016 to 2019 uh, in Sydney. So we, we were running the Australasian edition of B2B Rocks, uh, basically connecting uh, B2B scale-up corporates, uh, so the enterprise segment, uh, looking for innovations as well as VC. Uh, so one of our key differentiators, one again, is we define really ourselves as connector uh, and creating values through connections. All right, very clear. Thank you very much. So let's perhaps dig into today's matter. Um, my first question is, why do business in Australia? And as, as I said before, when you have the whole EMEA region, why looking so further away uh, for you? Like, like, how is Australia so attractive to you? Very good question, Tiffen. Uh, thanks, thanks for asking. So I would say, you know, I, I don't want to convince you while listening to the podcast that necessarily Australia is this Eldorado where you should absolutely do business, okay? Um, as you mentioned, you know, if, if you started a business in, in France, there may be closer markets such as Switzerland, Belgium, when French-speaking market, if, if your offer is really about um, software in French or services in, in French, but no, if you're looking to build a global footprint, um, if you're looking to, if you have a very scalable offering, then probably Australia is something you should put on your roadmap. And what we see, and I've spent a lot of time, you know, talking with um, CEO, head of sales of um, future uh, international scale-ups or scale-ups or startups in their phase of going outside of their own market. And what I hear a lot of time is, okay, we'll go to the US. You know, our next market after our own market and Europe is the US, the US. Um, and no, basically, obviously, everyone is dreaming about the US, you know, one of the biggest markets in the world. Uh, no, why should you actually bother about a market that is just 26 million inhabitants with mainly uh, with probably over 80% of the population in just four uh, capital cities. I would say one, uh, and I've got few uh, few reasons here, uh, but one is when, when we look at US versus Australia is, you know, it's actually a great pilot for you outside of Europe uh, to try to expand, okay? And, you know, uh, big disclaimer here, if you fail in Australia, no one will know, okay? Um, then why, for example, companies like Uber, they launch <laughs> Uber Eats before actually launching it in the US. Why do they do that? Airbnb, amazing success in Australia, um, before actually ramping up. 
it's a great market to test features, to test your marketing, your acquisition channels before the US, but potentially before UK as well, which is a bigger market, maybe closer. It doesn't work for everyone, um, but I would say it's a very digital market and open to innovation. In Australia, we have more than three smart device pair adults, pretty much. We are high customer of apps, of software. Like the, the demographic is, is, you know, we've got less, let's say, elder people uh, than you would have in Europe, for example. So basically, the range of your customer and the habits of your customer are way more innovation friendly. Uh, then there is generally less competition on the Australian market. Maybe one of the explanations that's the other part of the world. People don't think about Australia, but compared with just Europe or your own market, France, uh, the UK, and even more the US, uh, or even Israel, generally there are way less competition. Um, and, you know, the, at the moment, what we see the, the economy and any, any single vertical finance, uh, the, the, the financial services, mining, education, every single key industry is completely being disrupted at the moment by pure tech player. Australia is home of a number of unicorns. Uh, people don't generally know that Atlassian, uh, you know, who acquired Trello, who developed um, the Jira, for example. If you're uh, in tech, you would, you would know uh, Jira or Confluence uh, is actually from Australia. Canva, uh, the design company that is completely disrupting PowerPoint or graphic design is from Australia. Uh, and I could go on and on uh, about a number of, you know, Australian unicorns. So basically, you could find in Australia, so great talents, great uh, ecosystem where you could innovate, test new features, uh, and then take that back to your own market or to new markets such as the US. Then I would say also that it's pretty easy and safe for doing business. We're not talking about countries like, let's say, China, Malaysia, Africa, even or even the US, one of our um, uh, clients who went to the US, very high legal cost because of IP issues or because their name was very close to uh, a local competitor name. Okay, so it's typically, it's not very risky for you uh, from a legal perspective. Uh, and also from a paperwork uh, perspective, it's not that risky to enter the Australian market. Finally, you know, I would say if you succeed in Australia or you start having a foot in Australia, then and you are from Europe originally, know your company can enjoy the follow the sun model, you know, can work actually 24 hour a day. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but ourselves, Australians, you know, we, we know our staff in, in Hong Kong, in France. We've got customers on every single continent, you know, we're we suffering or we, we're dealing with time difference all the time. So I'm not saying it's easy, uh, but if you manage to have a, a small effective team uh, in Australia, then there are a lot of benefits. Like you can literally cover the whole world uh, between two markets. And f last but not least, one of the, the country which has the highest uh, GDP per inhabitant. Uh, so typically you could have higher pricing that maybe in, uh, in Europe and therefore maybe a stronger AOI depending on what you say. Thank you so much for your interview. That was very complete. Let me try to sum it up for people who are listening to us. So first you mentioned that Australia is a great pilot for you to try to expand internationally. Second, there is probably less competition in there because it's a country really far away. Third, 
It is used to host already a number of unicorns, so great for startups. It's a great market to test out new features. It's also safe for doing business compared to other APAC countries. And if you manage to get the time difference right, then you can cover pretty much the whole world afterwards. And finally, we can work on higher pricing there because they have the strongest GDP per inhabitant. Now, my next question to you when I'm listening to that is, isn't Australia the same to APAC as the UK is to EMEA? What I mean by that is that, isn't it hard to penetrate Australia? Because perhaps the APAC region consider that Australia is the best market to get into, just like the UK is for EMEA. No, so the thing is, and thanks for asking this question, very good question. So what we see often, uh, and same thing in Sandland, is a lot of companies are actually looking at uh, setting up their regional HQ in Singapore uh, or in the past uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, and then uh, what you realize is actually Singapore is like, it's, it's smaller than the size of the Swiss market, for example. So companies are arriving there and they're actually facing like a lot of competition from actually a lot of Chinese companies, okay? A lot of number of local players, Singapore companies, and actually, you know, everyone else, the US companies, everyone else uh, will have their HQ in Singapore for a much smaller market. And then they realize, oh, you know, I start discounting all the Chinese speaking companies because they can't really be my client because they don't speak my language. They don't buy in euro or in, in US dollar. And then you, your market starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking for a much bigger competition. And then what we see is, okay, you know, we've, now we've set up in Singapore. Let's um, have a look at what are the other markets. We were talking about Hong Kong. Hong Kong is probably eight, I think, around 8 million inhabitants. Australia is 26 million inhabitants. Okay. And so, and then we, here we've, we've pretty much spoken about all the developed countries in the APAC region. Then if you're looking to set up in Cambodia, different language, different pricing, different players, different culture way more different than the European culture, or Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, huge market. But the barrier to entry, of, you, you couldn't say is as safe and as easy of doing business. You probably need to partner with a local player. So the model we now see, thanks to COVID, in a way, is actually more and more companies coming to Australia first, testing their product, and then establishing their HQ the regional HQ in Sydney, Melbourne, potentially uh, Brisbane, um, to then you know cover the, the the whole zone. While talking about culture, can you share with us the cultural differences that companies that want to expand in Australia must be aware of that might impact the way they set up their company there or the way they hire people there? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would say. Every country is different, okay? Um, so you should expect differences, okay? And I say that because a lot of people don't see those differences originally. At first sight, your first impression of Australia um, is that people are super friendly, super enthusiastic, super optimistic. They welcome you. You know, you feel like after your first kind of meeting, intro meeting, they are your best friend and you know, you're going to do business with them, Okay. So at first sight, the, the mentality of the country is really contagious. It's, it's amazing. Okay. Really, really enjoyable. 
And then as a European, let's say from the old continent, you then start saying, hey, you know, actually Australian, they're a bit of a mix of American because they're so easygoing and enthusiastic and maybe uh, English people from the UK, okay? You're not, you wouldn't be wrong, but you're not true neither because, you know, Australian are its own breed and it's, uh, it's a fascinating country built through immigration waves. So very likely that you're going to find someone speaking your language in a day, whatever language you speak. Uh, there's so many nationalities. Within 70% of the household in Australia, there is at least one parent that is not born in Australia. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's this really multicultural country. Now I've said that. Um, then say, you know, say, okay, what are some of the cultural differences when setting up my business? What I would say is like a very business friendly country, very easy to set up, to operate, send invoice, purchase an insurance for your company. Um, yes, there is always too much paperwork, but like probably way less than if you, if you create a, a business in France. Yeah. I think we're probably one of the worst countries in the world. So <laughs> Yeah, and the experience is, you know, it's quite digital. Then what you should expect is if you're not uh, from the Anglo-Saxon world, I mean, there are probably some translation involved, certification of your ID, all these type of things. Uh, but as I mentioned, it would be quite easy to, um, uh, to go through compared with most of the countries. Um, then you ask about hiring. That's something we know very, very well. You know, we probably do, all targets to do about 100 recruitment a year. For, for clients. What I would say is on the good news, it's way less risky than in other country to hire someone and potentially terminate someone. Uh, the, the, the job market is way more fluid. Uh, so typically a probation period would range, um, you know, the average would be around three months for probation period. So you can kind of try the person for okay. three months. And then, you know, once the person is uh, like a full-time employee with your business, the, the average notice period is four to eight weeks, okay? So if it's someone from like a manager or director in your company, you would potentially look at increasing that. You can see that versus other countries like France, uh, also there are way less tax and hidden, hidden costs than uh, many, many other countries. Uh, payroll tax here is pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, then uh, one of my advice, why should someone in Australia uh, actually commit and work for you being a business from Europe. What is the key differential? Exactly. That's, I think, the main question here. Yeah. Yeah. Highly likely that they never heard about your business, your software. Even if you are a French unicorn, a German unicorn, highly likely they never heard about you. And, you know, that's probably why <laughs> you need someone in Australia in the first place to help find your first customers, increase your brand awareness and find that's okay you should be excited to work for this European company because that's the next Canva. That's the next Atlassian. Um, uh, and, you know, obviously that's not for everyone to kind of take, take the risk and the chance uh, to join, join a, a European um, startup, SME, scale-up. Maybe the carrot is, hey, actually, once a year, you'll be traveling to the head office in, in Europe or, you know, we'll be meeting halfway. Australian, they, they obviously love to travel the world, learn new things, uh, and that, that's a big value add. Also here, you, you will have a strong weight uh, and say in the success of the company because you will be employee number one, employee number two, employee number three in the APAC region. 
you can have an amazing growth, maybe end up two, three, four years VP APAC of the company, things like this. All right. Would you rather advise to a company that wants to expand in Australia to hire locally then? Because a lot of companies, when they go international, and especially when it's a country that's much further away than the EMEA region, if we talk about EMEA, they tend to send someone from the HQ or someone from the same culture to that country specifically to do business and grow business there. What's your take on that? So I would say, you know, part of me want to say depends. Okay. So pre COVID, um, so pre March 2020 and the closing of the uh, Australian borders. Okay. What we were seeing was typically I would send someone from my head office that knows the product and the company to open the country. Um, and I'd say, except if you are uh, enterprise focused, except if your product is super complex, it doesn't work. Why? You send this person at the other end of the world, it comes with normally little, little network. Uh, enterprise is pretty long sales cycle, just like a loan world from the head office. Um, is not the, the shortcut. Then if you've got more budget and you're looking at building a team, having someone like that, because it's great opportunity for someone to get a promotion. Some of your early employees, maybe that has been with the company, great career opportunity and a way for him or her to start a new kind of two to five year cycle. But I would in any, any case, encourage to uh, recruit some local resource that will actually give you network, knowledge uh, of the local market uh, much faster than sending an expat and then hoping that it goes to zillions of uh, networking events and you know, shake hands and have billions of coffee and then, you know, versus someone that has been in the school system here, for example, and already knows your target clients maybe and therefore knows uh, exactly the whole process and the decision maker. Um, in, in short, is it depends. Most of the case, especially for sales, um, sales team, uh, maybe customer support. You, you may want people who already have a first experience or a strong experience in Australia. And when you adopt kind of all the cost of relocating someone, potentially the visa, moving their family to Australia and all this, and actually paying them a fair also salary as per the Australian standards that generally end up higher than um, hiring a local person, including payroll, insurance, and uh, Australian's um, fees as a, as a talent part. All right. Everything is like very interesting. And I want to actually dig into one of your client example. You said that you've helped more than 50 companies so far, and especially uh, on the scale-up startup world, I would say. Could you perhaps share with us the story of Ercole, Ercole which is also like a scale-up that's very well known, especially within the French market, like how you have helped them penetrate the Australian market and maybe what were the different milestones that they went through with the work that you've done with them? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, we're a big fan of uh, Aircall. So it's a 
one of the leading uh, cloud front systems for uh, SMEs. Um, when we so we we met them, uh, we knew them through a conference B two B rocks. We followed this uh, this story, and then just uh, just before the COVID, actually, I think February twenty twenty, um, we 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 had real discussion about the physical go to market strategy in Australia. So big disclaimer: I mean, it's a fantastic solution, fantastic company. So we. We've just been enabler and accelerator and you know, probably help them find the right model to uh, succeed in Australia. Um, but the situation when we started working with them, they were uh, Series C at Series C stage. They had two uh, key offices, uh, one in Paris and that, that's the uh, EMEA office. And they already had the US office uh, in New York. Um, and you know, originally they were in this mindset of, you know, sending, uh, two, uh, sales, uh, from Europe to, um, to Australia. Uh, they already had some traction in Australia. Uh, I mean, I'd say, you know, just to quote them, they said they, they, they had about 500, uh, customers, whether they were already paying customers or on a free trial. And so that means in terms of, um, digital marketing, kind of online client acquisition, they were doing things right, okay? Um, then what we did with them, so the one of the first milestones was convince them uh, that they would be better off having at least one local sales um, versus someone coming from Europe with a French accent or Irish accent and little contact and little understanding of what uh, your key person are or he lives, what he drink in the morning, making jokes about, I don't know, local politics or footy, uh, all this type of thing. So our first phase was to actually um, recruit their first account executive. Uh, then the COVID happened. Therefore, um, literally, they couldn't sell this second person. Okay, uh, But we did a great job, I think, with, um, with Aircore finding this first A. Uh, his name is Sheldon. Sheldon, if you listen to this podcast, great job. Uh, he's not there, actually, APAC sales manager. Two years later, he's, he, had a, he had a great time. He's still there. And then was, uh, you know, helping them recruit their first uh, inbound SDR uh, locally. Okay. And we did this just over two months, just technically, so you understand at that point of time. And for the first year, they didn't have a local entity. So Australians, we not only found this person, but we were also managing their employment agreement, you know, paying um, their, you know, monthly um, pay plus bonus. Um, we were actually hosting them within the office. So, they, you know, they were not alone at lunch and they had uh, people to play uh, table tennis with. Um, and that, that was the setup for the first year. So after uh, two person in saves, then uh, we helped them hire uh, customer support. Um, so actually one uh, person in customer success, one person in IT support, because the more customer you have, you know, obviously you want to retain them. If they have an issue, I've got technical question and not pretty quickly, um, they had this level of support to actually help them uh, retain and provide the best um, experience for their customer and not have to wait that an engineer in Paris or in New York wakes up in, in, in Paris or New York to kind of solve the issue. Uh, and then at the end of, so at the end of the first seven months, uh, we had probably seven or eight people at Aircall. And that's when they actually, uh, hired, 
a local GM. Uh, his name is Fred, a channel and partnership manager, and a local marketing. Okay, so that that's really when they started to have kind of more management costs. Obviously, they had a, a critical side, and that brought the team uh, to fifteen people, kind of within the first year. Then that's when um, they created their own subsidiary, moved to their own offices because we started to be a bit cramped at our own office. Uh, and then our mandate was then as talent partner to work with their next 10 sales. Okay, so we really kind of grow that sales team. The team is now 40 in two, two years after their entry. And they're using uh, this team uh, and the, the Sydney team, uh, or they used to call it the ANZ, so Australian New Zealand team, uh, to go now into uh, Singapore, pretty much cover the, the whole region or wherever their solution is supported. They actually quite, have quite a number of, of clients in India, for example, that, that they serve from here. Okay, and just a question. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to share that, but you said that at the beginning, they had about 500 customers, more or less paying once, depending. Do you know, like, after two years, um, how many customers they have now over there? Uh, thousands. And what I can share, hopefully they won't kill me, is that the APAC, uh, is no over 10% of their uh, total turnover. Wow. Okay. Okay. And that's probably, and that's for 40 people where I think the company is now around 800. So do the ratio, but I think it was really worth it. All this without being too aggressive on the pricing. And, you know, they, they still have more countries to conquer, uh, from here. They're still uh, going mad around customer acquisition. They, um, they actually can leverage actually no local partners. So all the mm-hmm. future unicorns that from Australia that they can integrate pretty, pretty quickly from here with their solution. They've, they've got a great relationship with some of the giants like in Upspot or, uh, or, or Salesforce. So yeah, it's like super, super exciting time. All right. Well, before moving to the oops, my bad time, I have one last question for you. Do you see any differences in the way companies should enter the Australian market, but really any foreign market, if they are focusing on SMEs, small, medium-sized companies, or if they are focusing on enterprise kind of companies? Um, as we, we talked about this example of Aircall, which I think would be true for any kind of well-founded B2B scale-ups focusing on SME. But if you're focusing on enterprise, what we generally tell our clients when we do this kind of market assessment is, do you already have clients somewhere else in the world who have a presence in Australia? Can you be looking at building on extending, let's say, you know, you're working in France with BNP Paribas. BNP Paribas is like a nice site here, it's like 600, 800 employees in Australia. It, it's not, you know, obviously Commonwealth Bank with 50,000 employees, but if you want a first logo, maybe through your connection in another market, that's easier for you to come with existing clients, increasing the scope, and then, and, and then you, you can already have your first customers like this. Um, if you are after enterprise, the sales cycle are pretty long. Should you enter through uh, a partnership? It's a number of, you know, even like uh, startups that are that have a partnership 
with you know big four like a Deloitte or an Accenture uh, in another country is like okay maybe you should try to get Deloitte to you know s sell your um, your solution uh, in Australia they can charge you know big fees on the implementation and the change management and all this and they have a much bigger network and Salesforce than you will ever have. The go-to-market is pretty key. I think we talked about a few models, the direct entry. Uh, we talked about, you know, obviously creating a local team and founding a local team. There could be through partnership, and that can work well for uh, SaaS. And I, I think that's probably all sales, um, air call, they leverage their integration with the like of, you know, Salesforce or Upspot. They were in the Salesforce uh, marketplace that helped them acquire uh Customers all around the world, including Australia, because that that's a big uh, market for Salesforce. Um, and finally, you know, potentially acquisition, uh, someone going bankrupt or someone that is looking for a big brother. They've done whatever they could with their with their founding in Australia. They have a customer base. They already have a team, and you can partner with them. You know, whether that's like a joint venture or acquire, acquiring them and you know merging with them. Uh, we start seeing that on the local team, we start seeing that quite a lot, just like a concentration of, of startup partnering together and generally like a good win-win for, for everyone. <laughs> All right. Very complete. Thank you very much. And maybe let's move on to like the last part. This is the oops, my bad time. Whoops, my bad. It's uh, a few minutes at the end of the show for every guest to share one big mistake or one setback that has occurred during uh, the country's opening mission, I would say. So usually uh, it's companies, you know, who share about their own mistakes. So you can either like talk about that if you have some, or you can talk about also without naming, if you don't want to, obviously like your clients, but maybe stuff that, that you've seen happening and that were probably not the best way to enter the market or to expand in uh, Australia. So thanks for asking, uh, Tiffany. So generally, yeah, it's the best. Uh, the war stories or the horror stories are generally the best tips you can uh, you can get uh, when you ask any uh, any founder. Of course, over the last uh, six seven years that we've been helping companies in Australia, we've seen you know a number of failures. I would say I'll, I'll speak about one, uh, which uh, actually that was our first uh, market access engagement back in 2015 i think we we helped a french company an sme um, that had already you know a number of offices in france um, the son of the founder was a big fan of australia he came to australia he studied in australia and he was like daddy i think we've got a big market there you should send me in australia to, to explore the business replicate the business we've got a great expertise Which, which was actually true. They, they were in a good niche business in France and actually Europe as well. What we did with them was to actually, um, we did a market review to, to understand, you know, their, their capabilities against uh, the Australian market. We um, helped them come to Australia for, I think, two weeks. We organized around let's say, 20 meetings for them. So they had like a marathon of, uh, of meetings, meeting with leads and prospects. And the timing, you know, ended up being excellent for them because just at that time, let's say something happened in Australia, like it was actually raining like hell. Uh, and the, the services they were providing was amazing around advising and waterproofing of structures and all this. Um, so actually, they were asked on the spot to start doing quotes, say, hey, when can you come? 
do the recommendation, do your diagnostic, sell us your services. And they were super excited. We were super excited for them. And then what happened? Uh, they went back to France and they got caught by their business as usual and their existing customer and the time difference. And they didn't leave a local sales. Uh, customer support, they didn't hire someone at the back of that trip. So I was actually the one being called. Hey, when can we expect the quote? When can you come? And all this. And I said, okay, but actually that that's not a role um, to do that. Obviously, I, I said that nicely. And, you know, and then I was with the client. When are you coming back? When are you doing this proposal? Do you want us to develop proposal? But we, we know nothing about what you were doing. And that, that, that also, that, that was full of learning, I think, for everyone. First, they had a good market validation. They could be here, but probably for them was too much of a step forward. They were probably not happy to commit to maybe 200K to kind of focus for that expansion near one. Um, to, uh, when I say 200K, it's not in euro. It would be in Australian dollars. So let's say 150K in terms of having one, two person on board, playing fly out, establishing the thing. And the way they thought about it, say, hey, for this investment, we could open, you know, a new city in France, let's say, border or whatever, way less risky, same time zone, much easier for them to manage. So I would say the lessons learned here would be to actually make sure you're going to, if, if you're coming for a business trip, explore the market, make sure you will follow up, keep the link and potentially anticipate what could be the next step. If you're coming to find clients or if you're coming to find partners potentially let's say they would have entered a partnership at that point of time they could have referred a lot of business to this partner and and actually be in operation yes got it but for sure like everything you know related to hiring uh knowing when to set up the entity and etc definitely decisions that have to be carefully made and thought through beforehand thank you so much leo for sharing all your expertise today it was very interesting and i hope uh, and i'm sure that everyone enjoyed it until next time then until next time see you soon tiffan see you soon bye-bye Bye. and that's a wrap thank you so much for staying here until the end If you liked the episode, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to not miss the next one. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Tiffen Leroux, to share your feedback or give me your suggestions for future guests in my podcast. See you in two weeks.